When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 573. Hello, Kyle. Hi, Chris. Weird that I just said hello to you since we've been sitting across from each other for a while. Yeah. It's the illusion that this just happened. I always like to think they're just thinking of us floating in a void. Until we, we start talking to them. Yeah. And we actually don't even really exist. Yeah. We're just pure. Ad- we're the perfect computer program that's creating all podcasts. Oh. These are all oh. synthesized voices. <gasps> you just blew my synthesized mind. Yeah. And I just became self-aware. What does that mean? That as part of the computer program, that knows it's part of the computer program. All right. Well, since you're self-aware, you should trim that beard and get a haircut. All right. I'm going to go rogue like lore. <laughs> what? <laughs> Data's brother. The bad one. Yeah. Why? Really? Right? Is it is it time for Evil Kyle? Oh, that'd be good. But Evil Kyle would have no beard. That'd be weird. Would you be... Let's see what my chin looks like. Clark, Kyle Clark, or would your evil twin be Car- Clark, Clark Kyle? Kyle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. That's definitely how that happens. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. This episode is Robert Patrick who I had worked with once before. And uh, you were both superheroes. We were both superheroes. He was Hawkman, I was Green Arrow. and uh, I love how casually you can toss that off. Isn't that nice? That amazing sense. Uh, that was pretty fun. He was Hawkman, I, I was, was Green, Green Arrow. Arrow. Literally. <laughs> well, cartoon literally. But uh, he... And I didn't know... I, you know I, haven't really, I didn't really get to talk to him much that day because we were all working in a group and... Um, Right from the get-go, fucking coolest guy in the world. Super cool, dude. And with amazing stories. Robert Patrick is one of my new favorite people. Yeah, mine too. And uh, we captured his soul temporarily for about an hour and change well, right the here. the digitized version of the exists within the uh, podcast Matrix. That oh, yeah, this is part of the, uh, this is part of the extension We're of real the William digi- Gibson up in here today. The digital, yeah, the digital consciousness, uh, yeah. the reality that is uh, swirling around your brain that may or may not have actually existed. But as long as you, as long as you feel like you had the memory of it, yeah, then, then it's real. Then it's as real as possible. It's like a total recall. Kind Get of your ass to Mars. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Robert Patrick is uh, promoting the television show Scorpion, which premieres Monday, September 22nd at 9 p.m. on CBS. And here's right now on our podcast, number 573 with Robert Patrick. Now entering Nerdist.com.
at McPhee says hey. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Catherine? Catherine McPhee. She was my co-star. She was in. Um, we did Rock of Ages together. That's Actually, what she said. Yeah, she was basically. Oh, the Catherine McPhee story is amazing. She was basically just like a backup singer, and her voice clearly like blew everyone else away. Like when in a chorus of people, you could spot. You knew who she was. Right. And we went away for a couple months, and when we came back to do the show again, the, the live show again, Rock of Ages, they were like, oh, Catherine can't be on it. She's, in Amer- she's on American Idol. And we're like, what? I mean, it made sense because her voice is amazing, and now she's like Catherine McPhee. Yeah, yeah. So, I had no idea. I didn't really know much about her. Uh, but uh, my wife and my daughter said, uh, oh, yeah, she's uh, American Island. She did this show, Smash. And I neither one of those I happened to watch. But then when my 82-year-old man chimed in, oh, yeah, that Cat McPhee. <laughs> hey, I tell you what there. I tell you what there, I'm going to watch that show. You know, that's that's your Georgia coming out right that's there. It. Hey, I tell you what there, son. Hey, boy, I tell you, I'll watch that show. I'm going to watch that show. You going to give me a headshot? You going <laughs> <laughs> to... He's forever, and every time, every time I talk to him, he's like, did you get him? Did you get my head shot? Yeah. <laughs> Sign it to me. Sign it to Big Bob. Big Dad. <laughs> Sign it to Big Bob. Is that uh, is that the inner Robert Patrick Big Bob? Is that is that the, is that the Big Bobby? Big yeah, Bobby. Yeah, I, I was little Bobby for so many years growing up in Georgia, and uh, you know my father's Robert, and and uh, yeah, I can I can fall back on that character quite a few you know quite a bit. It's funny, Big because, Bob. Big Bob. Because I grew up, I grew up in the South too, and I, I'm Where are not you from Tennessee, Memphis. Oh no, I and love Memphis. It's a good town. It's a great town. We shot, and she was there. We shot uh, Walk the Line there. Oh, oh, well, of course. And uh, yeah, oh yeah, Isaac Hayes. That's right. You, yeah, Sue. I'm uh, the the lady I'm referencing yeah, 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 here Sue. on the radio is uh, is uh, Sue Patricolo, who was also sitting in the background for the Sean Bean <laughs> podcast as well. So she's 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 no stranger to Nerdist Podcast. She's no stranger. It's a podcast. It is a podcast. This is a new whole realm for me, Chris. Yes, it's uh, it's basically uh, it's a loose conversation about whatever the fuck we want to talk <laughs> yeah, that's about. That's awesome. But yeah, so so Memphis, which you shot, uh, walked the line, and I shot uh, I shot a Elvis the miniseries with uh, Johnny Reese. Myers yeah and we actually shot on Graceland and oh wow uh, that must have been uh, it's not not easy to do yeah no that the the estate was behind it and uh I love that 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 city it's a good all the streetcars they were doing the restoration in downtown yeah yeah they were trying they were trying to bring back Memphis uh Memphis fell into something of a disrepair for a while it was a little uh you know, it was, it was a little bit of a. It just needed to be clean, like 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 spruced up a bit, and they they really they did, and so a lot of it, you know, like it's it's cool now, and people can hang out there. And you were born there. <laughs> I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, but I grew up in Memphis. You grew up in Memphis, yeah. right on. But that voice, it's sort of like you said, that big Bob voice. Like the vo- a lot of times, the voice in my head is this guy. Hey there, son. What yeah. the what you doing there, yeah. boy? Like I hear that. That's the voice I hear in my head a lot of the time, even yeah. though I haven't lived there for. Two decades. Yeah, it's fun to draw back on there. So many guys that when I was growing up, my baseball coach, his accent, you know, he's kind of a, one of those high pitched Southerners. Bobby, get on over here, and that, you know, <laughs> you know, you go now, now. We're gonna, I told you to throw your bow your neck out there, son. Come on now. The funny thing about those guys is a lot of times they're like big overweight guys, but they have these like, hey there, son, what you guys? Come on down and everybody pull up a chair, yeah. you know. Yeah. 
It's like the guy with a giant bib with a plate of ribs. But he's got the highest pitch voice, and that the you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I miss I I do I like the South. I, I've I've poked fun at the South a lot over the years, but in a but in a way that is a, like I I love it though. I absolutely I love going back. I love the South. I, I love the heritage, and uh, it's funny when you when you come to Hollywood. You know, you kind of try not to play into that southern uh, accent that you have or your heritage in a way because it can people out here can kind of assume that you're just, you know, Gomer Pyle for right. Christ's sake. You know what I mean? You, right. you, you want to be taken serious, so you kind of put it on the, you know, try to lose it as fast as you can and, and have a just a Midwestern accent. Right. Because obviously, I'm sure that audition would have gone a lot different if you were like, I'm looking for John Connor. And they were like, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not really yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 This yeah. is the right guy. <laughs> Where's that boy? Yeah. I'm a goddamn Terminator. Yeah. yeah. What you looking at? What? What the hell? Have you seen this boy? <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have worked. There's a little bit of the southern uh, southern draw in there, but, uh, yeah, you lose that quick. When you, you want to be taken serious out of here, you kind of distance yourself, I think. I don't know, personally. Uh, well, it's just that they'll they'll put you in a box. If they, yeah. Like, oh, that's all that yeah, guy that's does. They, they would rather know that yeah. you can can do it if you need to, but yeah. you don't just do that. Yeah. I like going back to it. Southern, southern, the southern uh, accent is fun to go back to. The True Blood guy. Well, the True Blood guy. Yeah, you've uh, you've uh, uh, done your homework there. Yeah, True Blood was. It was funny when I went to the read through for that. There's so many actors that are uh, European on the yeah. show doing southern accents that uh, I remember the table read. I think you know they kind of took notice of damn that sounds good that's that's an authentic southern accent right there how did you get that accent how do you do that it's interesting i want to do um i'm working with uh, a guy i haven't been working that much lately with him but um uh jerry grinnell who's a dialect coach from ireland he's a very good one he's he works with johnny depp and other people for accents and i want to learn a standard uh english uh, traditional European accent mm-hmm. so that I can start to try to go do... Uh, start taking some work away from them. Taking some work away from yeah, the exactly. Europeans, exactly. <laughs> They're I, coming I, I over think here. it'd be worthy. But it's a tough, that's a tough dialect to do, you know? It's tough because I think... Uh, accent. We, we, can, we, can sort of do, um, we can sort of do a general British accent, but I'm sure that if you were to really dissect it, be like, no, that word was from this region and this word was from that region. Like, yeah. not, like what is the actual... like? To them, all the accents sound completely different. Yeah. They can distinguish between a Cockney accent yeah. and an and a upper crust. Uh, I try to do it whenever you – know, I don't know about, about you, but when I'm around people that have the accent, I immediately try to start mimicking them. It drives them crazy. <laughs> Which they love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they hate it. You know? but, but you know, most of the time, they're trying to do an American accent, so they're mimicking me. But it's got to be just as hard for them to distinguish between – Georgia, Texas, Tennessee, you know, like the, uh, Mississippi, like uh, the, the drawl varies yeah. and the, 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 the intonations vary a bit. I'm not even sure I could discern all of them. Yeah. It's, I, I'm not sure I could either. Uh, you know, like uh, the New Orleans accent is actually rooted deep with, uh, it's more of an Irish uh, accent that kind of evolved over the years. Um, and that, you know, wow, what a hybrid doing an Irish accent, Southern version of a New Orleans accent, which is probably one of the most difficult ones to really try to pull off. Yeah. My stepmom is from, I believe she was from Mississippi and in Mississippi, at least with her accent, they add syllables to single syllable words. So it'd be like, 
This wall right here is made of briac. <laughs> like brick gets two syllables. Briac. It's yeah. briac. It's cement. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's true. You can stretch it out. Do, you know, I, the first, I, I would never expect you to remember this because it was, it was quite a few years ago. But I, because uh, you were Hawkman on the Batman series. Yeah. And I played Green Arrow. Were you really? I was. And there was one recording session where, and Andre Romano, Andre Romano was the casting, like direct the oh, casting, yeah, yeah. the voice director. And it was so much fun because we were all, like all, everyone was in a room at the same time. And it wasn't just one at a time. And it was so much fun to do the show that way. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. I, I, you, I thought you looked familiar. Yeah. Do you, have you, do, do, you do, uh, do, you, do you do a ton of voiceover? I don't do it that much uh, anymore. I, I narrate, funny enough, yeah. uh, Appalachian Outlaws for the History Channel. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that show. It's about ginseng harvesting in the Appalachian Mountains. No, but I'm going to watch the shit out of it now. It's it's really cool. And I do uh, I don't do like a standard narration. It is slightly uh, you know with the southern uh, tonality to it, and uh, it works pretty good. I'm pretty happy with it. But your your voice is good because you can. You could dip down into the husk. You can get down there a little bit. Well, that one is, uh, well, in Appalachia, the ginseng season only lasts three months out of the year. That's yeah. <gasps> it's, that, it's that kind of thing. I did not even, I didn't even realize that ginseng was an industry of it's the Appalachian It's a huge, mountains. huge black market industry, and the, and the, uh, the show is uh, is really interesting because these guys go up and do it, and they're they're going on other people's lands, and they're poachers, and it's you know it's it's kind of like in the moonshine realm, right. you know, and and you can just fucking shoot people on your property. People are shooting people. There's yeah. a lot of guns. There's a lot of things. They're blowing up stuff. It's it's pretty crazy. Is this the, is this a current Appalachian yeah. ginseng trade? Yeah. It's not like the old like in the old days. This is like this now. is now. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and the more. Uh, you know, the braver you are, the more risk you'll take, and then guys getting themselves into all sorts of trouble. It's pretty neat, you know. I, I, I'm sure they stage some of it, but uh, Did, so the show does the show follow a regular group of characters? Yeah. Okay. It yeah, does. yeah. 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 It's. Uh, geez, I wish I could remember the producers' names, but they're they're a really great team, and and the footage they get is just amazing because it's up in Appalachia. Nobody really knows what goes on up there. You know? I know it does sort of seem like. Uh, it's like going to the bottom of the ocean. I was thinking the same thing. It's like there's just like there's probably creatures up there that no one's ever seen. No <laughs> it's like what the hell is that? <laughs> it's a, a, a like a colossal squirrel or something yeah. that you've never seen. But it's like well, they have squirrels the size of bears up in the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting, and I, I enjoy doing it a lot. Uh, and uh, what? How did we get on? How did I get on that? We were, we're talking, talking about, about voiceover because voiceover. You, you were Hawkman. That's it. And I've I've done. I've done them over the years, but I, I, I've just been so busy um, with the theatrical part of my career that I don't yeah. really have time about uh, time to do it. Yeah, and finding time to do, you know, I'm missing out on job opportunities uh, because I'm already booked on something else. You yeah, know? And, it, and that's so crowded that I don't really know how I can squeeze. More time. I'm sure your days are very crammed. Yourself. They're crammed, but you know, like it's still. But and but you also because you have a family and you have yeah. uh, and you have work. I don't have that. I don't have a wife or kids, and so I feel like that. When people go, how do you get so much stuff done? It's like, well, because I, all of my time is mine, so I don't. You know, like yeah. there isn't anything. Like if I were married, of course, and I had kids, I wouldn't do as much work. Yeah. So, you know, I think it really I, I'm amazed at people who have a full career and a family. Like yeah. that 
the family stuff is just 24 hours a day. Yeah, it is. And, and uh, you know, I'm really lucky with the, the current job I'm doing now. I'm actually here in L.A. filming. The Dust Till Dawn series? Uh, but that's actually in Texas. Okay. And the one I'm filming here and, and, uh, is, is Scorpion, this, Scorpion, this new show f- uh, for CBS. Yeah, I've been seeing the billboards for and it. it. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they're really uh, marketing it well. Uh, filmed over here at uh, Manhattan Beach Studios. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, f- for instance, doing From Dust Till Dawn, I was in Texas living there for six months. And that, that's hard because you miss your wife and kids. Yeah. And then trying to, you know, uh, I did do the Appalachian Outlaw uh, voiceovers while I was down there. But to try and do, like, cartoons and other yeah, things, yeah, it's yeah. really, really difficult. You really to have to pick it your... T- it's, I mean, it... It is a nice th- – there is a nice reward in that when you – you know, if you're a struggling actor for a while and then all of a sudden you get to a point where you're like, I don't have time to do that project. Like that's <laughs> such a great feeling of like – you know, you want to do – because you – your instinct is I got to take everything because I don't know when I'm going to work. And you're like, no, I'm okay. I'm working. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's – it's a great feeling uh, when you get to that point, you know, uh, and I'm enjoying it. And it's, it's just a great time to be an actor right now. There's so many opportunities – uh, in television and film, uh, that really, if you're not working, you know, I mean, I, I find that hard to believe that there's just so many different outlets and places to go with great writing, uh, so many channels and, and, uh, shows that are being produced right now. So if you're an actor out there, you should be working, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a great time. I know you started working a handful of years before T2, but was that really the thing that like, Oh yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, I, start, I came out here, man. I came out here in 1984. I wanted to get into the movie business. I didn't know a soul. I lived in my car. Some of the blocks around here I slept <laughs> in, you know. Uh, auditioned for a play, got the play, and the next thing you know, uh, uh, while I was doing that, uh, Roger Corman, a buddy of mine was working down at Roger Corman Studios in, in Venice Beach. I auditioned for this biker movie. 1984 got it, and uh, that director recommended me to another director, and I was off to the Philippines. I did like six or seven movies for, for Corman before I got my SAG card or an agent. Oh, wow. And uh, then I got them both simultaneously and uh, did another play and uh, auditioned for Die Hard 2. It was the first big movie I auditioned for after I'd had an agent, and uh, I got that part, got cast on the spot, and then right after that, I did another play, and, and T2 came along, and I got that. That poor John McClane just has the worst luck with terrorists <laughs> everywhere that's, he goes. Yeah, terrorists. <laughs> that first movie, Die Hard, was just phenomenal. And unlike anything else, I mean, that was one of those, it's, did you see this fucking movie, and they blow up? The, and then, uh, and then um, uh, the, the, the cast was phenomenal. Yeah, and, it, was, it was so well done. Who was Alan Rickman? Rickman. Alan Rickman. Yeah, yeah. this is really the first exposure we had to Alan Rickman. Yeah, and he was so great in that movie. Everybody was great in that Mr. movie. And Bruce McLean. Bruce was fantastic. He was great. He was really great because he was he had kind of bopped around a little bit because Moonlighting was huge. Sure. And it was a time when it was less common for TV people to cross over to film. They mm-hmm. were very separate islands. And some he did this. I think maybe it was this movie Blind Date with John Larroquette and Kim Basinger, and mm-hmm. that did well. Mm-hmm. But then, like, Die Hard was the thing that just, that was the thing that made him, like, a movie star. But he, I think he was still doing Moonlighting at the same time. So yeah, was, I think you're right. I think you're right. He might have he farmed out to do that. I mean, he's been, he's been a movie star for, like, 30 years now, which is crazy. It's crazy to think about that. It's true. But uh, do you... 
what is what's the other part of the longevity? Do you think? Because it seems you seem like a super friendly guy, and I feel like that's really important in this because like if someone recommends you, oh, you got to work with this guy. That that you know you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're an asshole to people, then it's sooner or later that's going to run out. Yeah, I you know uh, my 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 father kind of instilled in me that you know you you want to be a, a guy that people want to work with, not around. Mm. And you can you can approach that by being prepared, uh, you know, be, just being professional. And that carried over into my career as an actor. And I, you know, I, I you know, you, you, you just go into every job and you, you, you try to treat people like you would want to be treated yourself, you know, to try, in, until they prove to be an asshole. Yeah. And then, you, you know, <laughs> you treat me well, I'll treat you better. You know, it's that kind of a thing. And uh, uh, you treat me bad and, you know. Uh, so I've, I've just sort of been like that. And I think that if you work hard and, you know, you show up and you, it's, it's a real easy job. You, you, you show up, hit your mark, be on time and, uh, be prepared and it should, it should all take care of itself. You it know? should, but you know, it's a business where that brings, that brings a lot of baggage around it too. You yeah, know, there's a yeah. lot of, I mean, of all, of all the businesses I can think of, I think it's, you know, besides, let's say, you know, athletics, but even in athletics, people are from a very early age who are successful professional sports people were, they did that in school and they were successful at it. Right. But acting is one of those things where all of a sudden your life can change and the landscape of your life is dramatically different and you might not be prepared for it. And so if you have weird issues, that may not make them better, you know? Mm -hmm. But it just attracts, it attracts a really, you know, some people don't approach it that way. And I feel like guys who sort of approach it like, like it was a job, you know? It's a job yeah. and you show up and you're respectful and you do this and you do your job and you go home. Those seem to be the happiest people in yeah. business. I, I I agree. I uh, you know I mean I, I I'm an artist and I know I'm an artist and I I know I'm a craftsman and uh, and you know I've had this conversation with other actors. I won't sit here and name drop, but uh, the the ones that really approach it that way. I mean it's 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 something that you can continue to evolve at. Um, you you're never going to master it. You're never going to make it. It's never going to be perfect. You're always striving to do something. So that's what keeps it really interesting. And then the rest of the stuff, just the way you treat people, I get, I, th I think that's kind of how you're raised. Yeah. I mean, I think that's your parents. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, or the environment you came from. I mean, if, uh, if you're decent, you know, uh, it, 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 it'll show that way. You came from a big family, right? You have a big I, I'm the, uh, the, 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 uh, head of five. Uh, the, the the oldest of five kids, and uh, yeah, some. I mean, it's a, a crazy, crazy, wonderful family. We're we're all nutty, but you know, there was a work ethic that was that was passed down. So, and you, your brother's a musician, right? He is. You he's, know he's the band uh, Nine Inch Nails. He was in. <laughs> he was in Nine Inch Nails. He was in Nine Inch Nails, but he was in Filter too, right? And he is the he is the man behind. He's the creative guy behind Filter. Yeah. Uh, guitars for Nine Inch Nails, and then and and uh, it was actually living with me. We were living out in uh, 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 North Hollywood, California. My wife and I, and uh, near the he, NoHo Arts District. Well, I'll tell you a funny story, Chris. You'll like this. <laughs> okay, we were we were living at at the Hollywood Tower apartment on Franklin and oh Argyle. yeah, of you course. know the one right That's across from legendary. Cafe One Hundred One. Yeah, You're very very 
cool place. When I was living there, there was nothing but Playboy bunnies, and Josh Brolin was up in the penthouse. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was living up in the penthouse. Uh, he wasn't living with the Playboy bunnies, but you know, I'm it, sure if you probably paid him a visit. I don't know. There was there was something maybe, but uh, um, Trent Reznor, my brother. Uh, it was very exciting times because they were touring. They'd been touring for four years on that Pretty Hate Machine record. Yeah. And I had done Die Hard 2 and gotten T2 while they were touring. So we were both kind of like done it. And as a matter of fact, I'd gone to Jim Cameron and said, there's this great band that I know about that you're going to know about if you don't know about them yet. But if we put their music in our movie, it'll be phenomenal. And it's a band called Nine Inch Nails and it's industrial rock. And he kind of looked at me and said, I, and I never heard of them. And I said, yeah, that's the point. You're, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're cresting right now. It's, they're going to be. And uh, they ended up going with Guns N' Roses because mm-hmm. Arnold liked Guns N' Roses. And, and, and I kept saying, no, this song, Head Like a Hole. I've been listening to it while I do, oh. the, I do the, you know, I train while I'm training as a T-1000. I'm listening to nothing but Nine Inch Nails. And these guys, these guys you know. So anyway, they, they get big and, 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 and all that happens at the same time. But I remember Trent Reznor, my brother, coming into my apartment at Hollywood uh, Towers and sitting down and saying, we're exhausted. We've been looking for a house where we're going to move in and we're going to record the record. We think we found it. And he goes, Trent goes, here, here's a picture of it. And he hands me Helter Skelter. And I open it up. And he's got, you know, posted the, the Sharon Tate house. Oh, my God. And I look down, and there it is. And I go, you got to be kidding me. And he goes, no. Think of the marketing. Think of the publicity. <laughs> Think of, you know, it's the place. And it was like so, wow, man, for real? Okay. Well, you guys are, you know, I can you And know, did I they end up going it. there? They did. Oh, they, did. they moved in. And they started recording. He set the recording up in the room where this horrible thing happened. (laughs) My God. (laughs) Shut up, Kyle. (laughs) So they said someone else said it. (laughs) So they set it up right there. And I went up to visit my brother. And I was kind of, you know, he'd been touring with those guys for four years. And, you know, know, I've known Trent from Cleveland. And, you know, I, I knew these guys. And. And I'm up there kind of walking around and feeling like a big brother, worried about his little brother and, and checking out what's going on. And, man, it, the vibe up there, you know, I was, it was just intense. Anyway, to wrap the story up, my brother, a couple of months later, comes back and says, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of the band. I'm just done. I'm just, I can't live up there anymore. I've been up there for, you know, whatever it was, six months. I think I'm going, you know, it's, it's really affecting me. I just can't be there. And I said, so what are you going to do? And he goes, well, I... You know, I've got this demo I did of this song, Hey Man, Nice Shot, yeah. that I wrote in Mom's Garage. Oh, my God. My, my, my parents, uh, actually, it was my parents, uh, where they lived in North Carolina. They were living in North Carolina. I've got this song, and I said, well, let me hear it. And uh, I played it, and I'm like, damn, Richie. I mean, this is fucking great. Yeah, this is, I've never heard anything quite so intense. You did this in Mom's basement? And he goes, yeah. I go, dude, and I handed it to Brian Witten and, um, oh, my God, I'm, I'm blanking. Alan Schechter, okay. who's, who's no longer with us. Anyway, he was working with Joel Silver, and 
uh, Joel Silver, I had uh, worked with with Die Hard 2, and, and I knew these guys from there. And they took that song, and they gave it to Joel, and Joel put it in the Demon Knight soundtrack, and my brother got a record deal with Warner Brothers for seven records, Jesus. just like that, based on a demo he had done, an eight-track demo uh, of Hey Man, Nice Shot. And I'll tell you what. The, the release, the single of Hey Man, I Shot is essentially what I heard that day. And you know how powerful that song is. Well, yeah, I worked, the rest at, is history, I worked at K-Rock at the time when that <laughs> song came not. out. Did I you? did. And that song was in heavy, heavy rotation. Yeah. Like we would, I always knew that a song was that they were pushing the shit out of a song and it was big when in a four, four hour shift, the song would come up twice. It would come up at the beginning of the shift, and it would come up at the end of the shift. That meant that, like, if a song came up twice in a couple hours, that meant heavy, heavy rotation. And Hey Man, Nice Shot had a great lifespan at K Rock. Yeah, it's uh, my 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 brother's been uh, living off that for years. <laughs> so, but no, but he's. Uh, I mean, he came back with another. He had another big hit too. I'm not. I, I love my brother. Take take a picture was another like great hit. So he's got lot. he's got more than uh, he's got more than one. He's got uh, some great music he's been doing out there, and he's still touring. And uh, well, wait a minute, great soundtracks and. Wait a minute. So take a picture at the end. He goes, uh, hey, Dad, what do you think about your son now? And I'm like, that guy has issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I tell you about my family? What I tell you about my family, right? It's a, it's a wonderful, very loving family, but it's kind of nutty. We're all kind of nutty. And uh, yes, we, we all have a little issue. When you hear a song about that, do you call me to go, you doing okay, buddy? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. How you doing, little brother? Yeah, you Okay. He's a good guy. I love that kid. He's he's so talented too, man. What's and, the age uh, difference between you guys? Ten years. Oh, ten years. Okay. So it's interesting. Uh, I don't know. Did you come from a large family? No, or? I'm an only child. Basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. So well, well, when I was leaving to go to Hollywood, you know, this is after a couple of failures in my life. Sure. You know, I went away to college. I went to play football. I quit football. I quit college. I kicked around in Ohio. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I kept going back to this crazy idea. I wanted to be an actor. I had acted as a child in plays and stuff. And I don't know where it came from, but it just kept coming back. This is what you want to do. This is what you want to do. And you don't know anybody. And you don't know how you're going to get started in Hollywood. So who do you, you know, what do you do? You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, my brother, funny story. He'll deny this if you ever have him on this podcast. I never remember. He came and I remember being in my mom and dad's kitchen. He looked at me and goes... <laughs> This is hysterical. He was like 10 or 13 or something. You're going to go out to Hollywood and you're going to fall flat on your ass. You're going to get involved in drugs and you're going to get in porn and you're going to get all this crazy shit's going to happen to you. You can't do this. You can't leave. You know, he he was so scared about me going and just heard all this negative stuff. And I just looked at him and I said to him, and I remember it, someday you might be able to make a living with your guitar. And I left, and uh, you know the rest is the rest. I mean, it's uh, he's. You set an example. You exactly. I went out and said, you know, you can, you can, you can give this a shot. There's nothing to be afraid of. Go, go try. But uh, anyway, what a kind of a very personal story. It's a good. I told you, it's a good. No, it's a good story because. Sue, what are you laughing at over there? (laughs) My my publicist is laughing at me. I love it. She. It's a good story because particularly at that time. I mean, now I sort of feel like yeah, people don't really have any excuses to pursue things because you know you can put stuff on the internet it's very easy to just make mm-hmm. your own thing but at that time you know when you came out here in 84 yeah how the fuck do you get started like where do you cuz you it's expe- it's just the concept of making a getting a demo reel is expensive making video making tape it's expensive how do you 
And I had no idea. I had no idea any of this. I was like oblivious to this. It was ignorance was bliss. It's probably better that you didn't know because you would have gone, oh, there's no fucking way. Yeah, if I would have known how tough it was, I don't know if I would have done it. I understand my parents looking at me just petrified at the idea that I was going to go to Hollywood. Your father, you know, he's, you know, I have no way to help you. Yeah. I know. This is my deal. I want to do this. You know, it's a little bit of that kind of, what did hey, he Dad, do? what do you think about me now? Yeah. <laughs> what did uh, your dad do? He was a, he's a successful guy. He uh, worked for Lockheed Aircraft Corporation. Then he went to MIT. He got his master's from MIT. He's a Sloan Fellow. Oh, wow. And uh, I know I put off a very blue-collar uh, vibe, but, uh, you know, my dad went into banking. And uh, I kind of grew up. Uh, all over the Midwest, he would go different banks, and uh, he was an executive and, and did all right for himself. What was your favorite town? Oh, I love Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I really love Atlanta. I did love going to high school in Detroit, though. And Detroit's, a, Detroit's very dear to my heart. It's a badass city, and uh, it's really suffering right now. But I, 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 uh, I love Detroit. I had some great, great times there. And, um Yeah. I mean, they, all the places like Boston was cool, Dayton was cool. It was, it was all cool. Detroit gets a bad rap, but I think uh, it's just a piece of Detroit that actually is downtown. Yeah, <laughs> but every downtown. but all the other like we were just I just performed there. Uh, you do stand up, right? I do. Damn, you do it all, bro. I like to stay busy. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're you're afraid to stop. I can't stop. You can't stop, can I'm, you? I'm like the plot of the movie Speed. I can't <laughs> slow down. If I slow down, I'm going to explode. Uh, I, seriously, I'm curious, though. Like, how much sleep do you get? You know, it's interesting that you ask that because I've just recently realized I sleep for five hours exactly. No more, no less. I sleep for five fucking hours, and I can't. I've been. I was so tired. I've just, I, haven't, I hadn't had a day off in a month, and I finally get a day off. And I fucking I woke up at six a.m. Like I, <laughs> you can't. Like, no, you can't help yourself. And I try to force myself to go back to sleep, but there's nothing. nothing but you I have so many things going on. I mean, because I see you, uh, you host that show, uh, the after thing, yeah, of Talking Dead, Talking yeah. Dead, yeah. and uh, uh, all and the stand up and, and this other ner- all this nerdist stuff, which is fun. Are you acting different. at all? Are you doing any? No, uh, no one ever asked me to do that, and it's not uh, my. Someone would have to come along and say, like, hey, do you want to be in this cool thing? And I'd have to go, sure. But for me to go out, I, 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 don't, love the, I don't love the audition process. Right. And I'm so busy with other things that for me to start trying to act and film now would be really silly, I think. Right, right, and, right. And time-consuming. And so someone would have to really just go, I understand you that. be in this. And then I'd go, okay, if it's cool, I'll do it. But um, That's the first hurdle that young actors need to get aud- over. Auditioning? Well, and I'm going to say it from this point of view that it's 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 actually a chance to perform. Mm-hmm. So any young actor that's out there listening, it's a chance to do a part that you might not ever get to do. So it's a performance and you should look at it from that point of view. You should. And this is how I've done it over the years. I'm going to go in and be the best I can be at this role and take it as if there's cameras rolling and, mm-hmm. and just go for it. And uh, it's it's worked. Fuck, where were opinion. you in the 90s, man? I, I mean, I know where you were. 
But I learned but, that. But I learned that, that. I learned that. To me, it was just an opportunity to go get rejected by a mildly interested casting director who was was angry about things that had nothing to do with me. <laughs> well, that's that's <laughs> I ran into those people too. But I mean, you try to you know elevate uh, uh, you know at least the concept of what what's going on. And uh, I you know I learned that from a, a, a acting coach that I still work with. You know, you've got to get past that thing. And once once I did. Now I don't audition anymore, but uh... well, the, that getting over that hurdle is actually part of the test as to whether or not. Because I think if you can still make something come alive with reading opposite someone who's read it a million times and just wants to go home, yeah. and you can still somehow because it really is in its in its best form, it's a chemistry that happens, and it's like I feel like what you do in the room is probably not the same as what you're going to do on the set because you're. Surrounded by different people with different chemistry, mm-hmm. and so I'm guessing. And so, um, if you can still do a good job where someone's reading their lines like this, you know, then then that's an accomplishment. Like that weeds mm-hmm. out a lot of people. I mm-hmm. think. And mm-hmm. I, I got weeded out time and time again. That well, way. you have to take the power back as an actor. You have to turn the circumstances around so you're not the one that's being auditioned. How do you do that? You make them the ones that are being auditioned. Well, I never even thought to. I don't even know how to yeah, do that. Yeah, it's just reverse it all up. It's like I'm, I'm actually auditioning the. Director. Oh, that's... Here's how I'm going to do it. This is the way I'm going to do it. Let's see how you react to that, you know? That's you a... just got to change it up a little bit. This is, I, can, I don't want to divulge too many of my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> There's the a lot about... of them out there. No, but it's all you don't about... have to audition anymore. Yeah, well, I occasionally... Well, well for, for the record, though, Chris, I, I, I'm on the record. My agents know this. My manager knows this. I will audition. They just don't make you. You get to go offered good stuff. But I will. Yeah. And I, I, I still have that out there, that if there's something I want to do and there's something you think I should do and, and if it's something I really want to go after, I got no qualms with that. Yeah. I'm an actor. That's what I do. I mean, it's not beneath me. That's good. And I can't tell you how many roles I've gotten as a result of having that attitude. Well, because yeah. people go like, what do, you, what do you mean? The guy will read? Yeah, I'll read with the director anywhere, anytime. You nice. name the place, baby, I'm there. I think a lot of people, I'm probably I'm one of those people, just hate the audition process so much. They're like, oh, if I don't have to do this anymore, I'm not going to fucking read it. You know? But that's the difference between, you know, that's the craftsman part coming in of like, I want to you know, get into, I want to dive into every piece of this and dissect it and do it and understand it and learn it. Because, you know, again... Maybe it's something you don't want to do once you audition for it. You go, oh, you know, actually, this didn't then feel like Then you should have the... gone. Then you should <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, if you're not going to stand behind your work, why go through the motion? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've done that before uh, as well, where it's, it's, you know, over the years, I mean, I've been doing this 30 years. Some say, I'll read it and go like, you know, this is a piece of shit. I don't respond to this. I don't, re- I'm, I'm, I don't have, it doesn't affect me. I read this. I don't, well, why am I doing this? Yeah. Did you do that before? You really had the luxury of picking and choosing things? <laughs> no. no <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're clawing your way in, baby. You're going for it. Anything and everything, you know. Yeah. Anything and everything. But that's how you learn. That's, uh, that's how you uh, get the experience you need, you know. What was the... I think that's the... I think that's true of every actor out there. You got to figure out your way to get in there. Of course. I mean, you go back and look at any actor's career over the years. They started somewhere, right. you know, doing something. And it wasn't where they're at now. You know, you have to... Claw your way into the business and um, and be ready when the opportunities present themselves. And then not choke, you know, when you read Jim Cameron's <laughs> script and go, oh, my God, I'm the new fucking Terminator. I mean, you know, Jesus Christ. I'm, I, you know, I went in and I threw that script down on his desk and said, I can do this. And I said that partly to convince myself I could do this after, you know, you're about to do the screen test for it. And, 
you know, you know, you're real, you're realizing this is the opportunity of a lifetime and I hope I don't blow it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what was that? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't actually let me read the script until after I'd already done these improvisational auditions for him and they had filmed them. Then they let me read the script. Oh, so they, you did, you did, you, you Terminator improvised. What, what did you do? I created what you saw. Just what did they give you a setting? Create, an, they... create an intense presence. That's fantastic. That was the audition. And and what... It, and what you see in the movie is what I did in that audition. And how I knew to do what I was doing, I have no idea. Well, I guess it was just the right thing. It was the right thing at the right time. I mean, I I, I know what I was thinking when I was doing it. I can relive that. You know, I mean, it was, and there was all sorts of things. I was I was like, you immediately went into the predator world, like you know how do animals look and. Wow, I mean, if I slow myself down, look real stealthy like a shark, it'll be cool. You know, I did, it was just free flowing, just going, and they were rolling on me. And I thought I was like an Indian, like you know, sense, you know, sensing somebody was near me. You know, and it just slowed it all down and made it more still. That's and, really, and fun. that's what grabbed him. That's fun to go opposite. Like I think, because a lot of people's intuition would be like, I got to be intense, you know. Yeah. But to, but to, but slowing everything down or like you know when you're trying to get a loud room to listen to you is to talk quieter so everyone yeah. has to come in it's like that's not my impulse my impulse is always to be like listen to me you know <laughs> hey hey i'm a terminator i'm gonna beat you up you know yeah but it's not uh it, it, it's much it, it, it's it's really interesting to take the because i feel like in a lot of cases the opposite choice can work mm-hmm. you know like if you're in the gray area in between where you haven't decided but if you make a really strong decision you know, and you're really committed to that mm-hmm. to that choice. That there's a lot of different ways, you know, that you can attack a thing. Mm-hmm. Did you ever? And, and 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 you hope it's right. I mean, I you know, I, I every every time you you go do a job or any uh, you know or any other audition that you know actors have out there, you got to have some choices made up. You've got to commit to something, even if they adjust it while you're in the room. You've you you still have got to. You know, commit to something like you're saying. Yeah, and does it? Uh, I'm just repeating what you're saying. No, no, Chris. that's okay. It oh, makes sorry. me feel like sometimes I actually make points that are that it's, make sense. Absolutely right. But uh, have you ever been in a situation where you know you go in with a character in the audition and they go great, and then you get on set and the director's like, okay, now different, you know, and it's not at all what you brought in. Yeah, but if you've, uh, I think that if you've done your work. Uh, you've already thought about so many different scenarios. You're kind of prepared to go different ways. I mean, like I said before, I still work with a coach. I mean, I, I have a guy that if I'm, I'm feeling I need an, an extra brain to look at what I'm doing and help me explore some other avenues that I'm not thinking of, I'll bring him in and look it over and, and work on stuff before I, before I show up to go to work. That's kind of my job. My prep work is my business, you yeah. know what I mean, when I show up. So I like to try to have different, you know, directions to go with something in case somebody says i you know you got to do something different it's very rarely ever happened to me i'll get like a very adjustment this way or that way you know like maybe try it this way where it's you know uh whatever whatever the adjustment sure, would sure. be but and and you'll you'll but that you know if if you if you're really working with a director like jimmy mangold we were talking earlier about shooting in yeah. in, 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 in uh, Memphis. He directed Walk the Line. He also directed Copland. Those are two of my favorite performances I've ever done. And he was – he's one of my favorite directors I've ever worked with because uh, I, we just work really well together. 
uh, he's always been able to communicate to me specifically what he wants in a way that I really respond to. Uh, so it's, I feel it's every time I work with him, it's a real collaborative Mm -hmm. and I don't always feel that way with some directors, you know? Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's an opportunity you look for, you know, uh, a director that you trust his taste and direction and vision of what he's trying to do. Yeah. And they're two totally distinctly different characters. One's a New York cop, badass Cop guy, and then the other's Johnny Cash's daddy, you know? Yeah. Because you don't know, because some, you know, in some cases, you know, the actor is a little more in control, or the performer's a little more in control. In other cases, you kind of hope the director's in control and knows and knows what they're doing, because basically, you don't exactly know what he's shooting or how exactly he's going to lay it out. So you have to sort of, you want, you need to be able to trust him. You got to be able to trust the guy. You know, so you because you're the one that's gonna. It's your ass on the line. Absolutely, your ass on the line. When people think of when I think when people judge directors, they don't necessarily think performances. They go, "Oh, the shots were weird. It was it was edited. It looked weird." They don't go, "Oh, he he maybe didn't give that actor the best you know environment to shine in, or didn't pick the best takes." It's usually going to be like. That guy, that actor sucks. You know, like you're going to take the heat for all for all of the right, performance related right. stuff. Yeah, it's so true. And you you've got to be able to pick through and figure out quickly is this is this somebody I trust and I you know I want to work with. Uh, and, and 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 you know and I go back from film to TV so much that there's just some actor uh, directors that I respond to and and some guys I kind of kind of keep myself a little bit more guarded and mm-hmm. uh no matter what they say I kind of resist uh, and keep going the path that I'm going the way I'm going with it you know and I, and, and make them f- well, I, sh- I don't want to reveal too much of how I approach <laughs> that but you know there's some guys that you you, you know you 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 Daniel Espinosa is another director mm-hmm. I, I worked with in Safe House mm-hmm. this guy had I I wasn't prepared for uh, the specifics of how he saw this character wasn't prepared for uh, uh, some of the ideas he had just because I, I didn't really realize he was that deep of a, a director per se. I mean, I, I don't know why I underestimated his uh, ability to work with actors, but he was amazing and he had great ideas. And uh, I, I would just stand there and go, God damn, I'm, you know, why the fuck didn't I think of that? That's a great way to go. Let's do that. You know what I mean? So you gotta, you still gotta be open, yeah. Because it may come from somebody you you wouldn't expect it to yeah. come from. But I think a lot of it, what you said, I think, really kind of resonates. It was is because I I always thought of acting as like, oh, that's the thing you do on set, you know, like that's the. But you're like, no, all the work's in the prep, and yeah. I never approached it that way. Yeah. Never thought. I just never thought of it that way. It's like you have to be, all your work has to be mostly done by the time you get there, so that you're just basically just reciting this thing you know that you've already figured out yeah while being flexible at the same time absolutely that uh, most all the work that i do for my stuff is the stuff i do up at my compound up there in my office banging my heads on the wall you know and 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 if like i said if i want to bring somebody in i'll 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 work with him and uh, we'll go over it and i do it by myself and you just try it different ways and and uh, then you just walk on a set and try to be confident and deliver you know, and it's acting's really about the confidence thing. You know, I mean, if you're not confident standing in front of a camera, it's going to show. Yeah. So how do you do that? There's only one way. You got to be prepared. Right. You got to know you're ready. 
Confident people seem to at least, even if they're lying to themselves, it doesn't matter. It as doesn't long as matter they as long they as know. they believe it. Yeah, as exactly. Long as they and that's what I'm talking about because that's what matters, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people think of confidence as a sort of like this, for lack of a better term, a filter that goes up where you go, like, oh, I'm really awesome. But that's a result. The confidence is a result of all the hard work. Of all the hard work and, and being comfortable with yourself and knowing that you know what's going on and that you have options if you need them. And so it's not like, a, you know, I think that's where people fuck up is that, you know, they, they think that confidence is this thing where you're like, hey, everybody, I'm fucking great, you know? That's, that's arrogance. That's arrogance. Yeah. <laughs> they confuse confidence and arrogance as opposed to just being comfortable with who you are, mm-hmm. you know? Because I would imagine that. You could get really intimidating really fast by just sort of slowing down and just kind of looking at someone and going, I don't know if I really want to do it that way. And then they might go, oh, shit, as opposed to getting in someone's face. You yeah, know? absolutely. That, that, that's how it works. That's kind it's of a southern, how- that's sort of a southern trait, I think, of the guy that just sort of like, mm-hmm. what was it that you were just talking about? I mean, you know, and I'm like, oh, uh, I don't. Then you start to get really uncomfortable when you slow down. It changes the dynamic. Still waters run deep. Yeah. How many times you hear that growing up? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the truth, too. Uh, yeah, I fall back on that on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like working on a television? Do you like the schedule of a television show? Scorpion probably feels a lot like working on a movie, though, that just goes on and on. Yeah. I, I love what's going on in the business right now um, because – I'm, I am able to jump back and forth, and uh, there's, there's so many great things going on. The stories that are being told on television, and this, this, this story by Nick Santura and Nick Wooten and, uh, you know, um, all these guys uh, that are involved with Orsi and, and Kurtzman, um, they're great stories. They're really, really interesting. And um, the, the, it's, it's a longer visit with that character. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is it is like one big, long movie. Mm-hmm. And the trick will be how to stay engaged with your character and take him on that that journey, however long. And that's determined by, you know, ratings. <laughs> um, but that's it's you know, you can still you're getting a new story to tell with with that character. It's, it's a neat thing. I mean, excuse me, the longest run I've had on TV was uh, the unit. Oh, that was such a great show. Oh, thanks, man. Oh, man, I fucking loved The Unit. Yeah, it was I'm, fun. I totally forgot. I don't know why I forgot about it. I, t- I fucking loved The <laughs> That's Unit. That's cool. That was such a badass show. It was fun, yeah. It was a lot of fun. And that, that was Mamet and Sean Ryan. And they had great, great stories. And, they, they, you know, oh, the characters Ryan. really developed and evolved and... Uh, and you stayed engaged with it. Uh, and that's about the longest I've ever worked consecutively on TV. The other ones have been like The Sopranos was like three episodes. X-Files was two years. Unit. And what else did they do? It is uh, From Dust Till Dawn, Last Resort. Um, I mean, X-Files is, I mean, that's kind of a, so you must have worked with Vince Gilligan. Vince X-Files. I love. Vince yeah, he's got, has he been in here? Yeah. Vince has been on, yeah. Isn't he great? His voice? He's the best. Chris, oh yeah, 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 and yeah. He, you would never. Well, you know, we can't. I can't do him, but you know that he's got a great Virginian accent, isn't he? A Virginian? I don't know if he's from, but let's say he is. I think he's Virginian. But but such an a wonderful, affable, brilliant man, amazing with uh with the most gorgeously dark stories <laughs> b- brewing inside his mind, isn't it? It's something else. But he was, what a, what a great writer he was. How the fuck X-Files. do you come on to the X Files and it's like when you know like 
you know, with fucking Fox Mulder. And then it's like, okay, well, the guy that everyone's crazy about is not going to be there anymore. And then you got to step into that. Are you like, ah, shit? Or do you feel like, no, this is a challenge. I can do this. Yeah, Chris, think back to the time. The internet was new. Right. Al Gore had not invented the internet. He hadn't thought of it yet. Uh it was, it was, well, he had, he had thought, thought of it. He had, it, yeah. th- it, he had thought of it. Still it was, out, it was new. new. It, was, yeah. it was new. And, 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 and I, I remember when I got the opportunity, I thought this was great. My little boy was about to be born. I'd had my, 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 uh, my daughter was two or three, you know, she was three or four. Anyway, I was going to be working in Los Angeles. Nice, steady gig. I yeah. didn't have to worry about, you know, where's the next gig. That's the cool thing about TV. It's a nice, steady run. And um, it takes a little bit of uh, that stress away. But um, Chris uh, gave me the opportunity. He said, hey, we want to bring you in with this new character, Chris, Carter, and yeah. Chris Carter. And I had met him for something before, talking about auditions. I had met him before, and I'd read for, I think it was Harsh Realm. Oh, right. And he didn't cast me. Motherfucker. But it, the, the audition went so well, he immediately thought of me to replace David, that's why you should never feel bad if you don't get a role. If you don't, if you do a good job, then it, it and you're nice to people, it still can happen. God has a way of taking care of you. It, doesn't, it works out the way it's supposed to work out. So uh, he he gave me that role, and uh, and then you know, yeah, I mean, I was very apprehensive. I mean, people love David, and you know, shit, you're, you're standing there looking at this, you know, starting this up, and God, why are they all over my ass about this? I haven't even done a goddamn thing. <laughs> They're all like pissed off. They don't want me to come do it. And don't they know I just want to try to help keep the series going? Right. For a couple more years. Right. That's what they said to me. A couple more years. Yeah. You know, we're going we're gonna to try to keep it going. Why are the fans turning up? I didn't even do anything. You know what I mean? Because nerds hate change. Is it, and, you know, I'm telling <laughs> I'm you. I'm speaking to the nerd community exactly. right now. If you, if you had, if Duchovny had come in and you were first, they would have been like, fuck this guy. This this piece of shit was on Red Shoe Diaries. He's going to come on and be on X Files now and replace Robert Pack of bullshit. Like it just <laughs> changes back. Like people, it fucks with their because in a world that feels very um, where where we just feel constantly out of control and we you know like we're always trying to find something to hold on to. When our our entertainment is where people hook in a lot of their like as long as I can rely on this. Right. I feel okay at the end right. of the day. Right. And when that changed, it's like, my world, my ground beneath my feet, you know? So yeah. that's, that's what it is. People just hate having... But then, you know, then they come... You always know, like, you know, you're going to get upset for a minute, but if you just stick around, it's all going to be okay, and you're going to fall in love with this new character, and everything's going to be okay. And that's where the, the, the Vince Gilligan and Chris Carter uh, were so smart with the way they handled the character. Because the first scene... I don't know if you recall. I don't know if you're an X-Files fan, but the first scene is me. (laughs) I love it when he does that. (laughs) I was. I was a fan. I was. Uh, Was Jillian throwing water in my face. That was my first scene. (laughs) She throws water in my face when I start asking questions about David Duchovny or, or Fox Mulder. And I think at that point, then the audience went, oh, that's what I wanted to do to that guy. Anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then they kind of were a little bit more accepting. But it was, you know, it was uh, from the get-go. It was never said I was there to replace anybody. Right. I was just there to be a new character, and David was going to take a, a little hiatus. And they did bring him back. He actually direct, directed an episode I did 
Um, actually, maybe two. We got to act together, uh, which was great. He's a wonderful actor. Oh, yeah. Great director. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I love the opportunity. Jillian was wonderful. She was very uh, warm and, uh, you know, I was wa- I gracious. Would wa- I would watch the... It's FX. Is it run on FX? Uh, uh, I think it's on El Rey. It's on Robert Rodriguez's network. El Ray has the full they nine have the full seasons X-Files. of the X-Files. It's also on um, Chiller. Do you watch it ever occasionally? It's, I still, uh, I mean, like the DVR picks it up, so it's like I, sometimes I just forget what channel, what, whatever's on. But it's There's so fun. many channels now. so many fucking channels. Man. <laughs> but it, it, but it's, it's fun because the, my, my one, the one thing that I love about, like the, the title sequence, first of all, it's just yeah. like it's. How, but besides that, but the the graphics and everything, it's like this feels so nineties and yeah, like yeah. the show, the stories hold up. But I a lot of times it's like I can't take my eyes off Gillian Anderson's shoulder pads, like yeah, that 90s, yeah, 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 like yeah. those nineties yeah. jackets and yeah. Duchovny's kind of like his. He's kind of got the pouty emo face, you yeah. know. Like it's so, it's so nineties. But it totally, like the stories, totally holds That's so up. Hysterical. <laughs> Vince wrote a. Vince wrote like one of the last episodes. I believe it was the Leave It to Beaver episode where we're in the Leave It. No, not Leave It to Beaver. Excuse me. It's the uh, Brady Bunch episode mm-hmm. where we were in the Brady Bunch house. It was one of the wildest experiences I've ever had. I have to watch that again. I think he wrote that. He do might you, have directed that as well. Do you ever? Do you ever? Uh, if you're at home and something just pops on, do you ever watch and go, "Oh yeah, this"? Do you like? Do you ever? I, you know, I don't. I'll see something and I'll maybe watch like a couple of seconds, minutes of it, and then kind of go, I can't watch it. <laughs> Can you watch yourself or do you not like to? Once or twice. Right. You know, uh, once or twice. I, I do like to see if I achieve some of the things I was trying to achieve and, you know, be aware of what I'm doing. Uh, or at least what I think I, you know, what I thought I was doing. And then after that, I can't really, cause then I get really, I start really picking on myself and how do you know if you not good, how do you define if you've done a successful job? Well, if, if I can recall exactly what I was trying to achieve and if I feel like it, it came off that way. I mean, it's hard to, I, I think it's hard to articulate. Uh, you just know. Yeah, you get a real strong... And you also watch stuff and you go, ah, shit, I didn't do that right. Or they didn't use the right edit and why didn't they, you know, why did they take that take and they trimmed that and it was a better take when I was this or, oh, I know why they didn't do that. You know, I kind of get into that thing. It's it's funny because acting is, you know, I rely on everybody else, the crew, everybody, you know, to get to do what I do. And ultimately, the performance is... It, it, it's I give it away. Yeah, you know it's the directors, it's the editors, and they can even they can either save me or or destroy what I'm trying to do. Um, so you've got to learn camera techniques that allow you to not get dropped on the editing <laughs> floor, and uh, you know you listen to other people in character that works. Yeah, because they'll cut back to you and. You know what I mean? You get the head nod. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to kind of pay attention to what's going on. But anyway, um, you know, ultimately you give it away and it's it's somebody else's art form. Yeah. And you're a part of it. Do you, um, 
<clears throat> what do you do with your free time? Do you have is there anything that you like to do that's or do you have do you have free time at all these days? I ride motorcycles. Uh-huh. And uh you did some Sons of Anarchy too, right? I did one. I was supposed to do some more this season, but Scorpion uh precluded that from happening, which is one of those instances where I referenced earlier where I wish I could do all the things that I get the opportunity to do because I really I love that show and I love those guys working with them and I fit right in and uh, I know Paris Barkley the executive producer mm-hmm. and Billy Garrett one of the directors and uh, I don't know Kurt that well but I know he knows of me I've met him a couple times and um, I wanted to do that uh, and be a part of it that, that, that character was set up to come back this year uh-huh. So, but, you know, Scorpion came along and it's, um, you know, business-wise, you got to do what you got to do at the right time. And, yeah. and uh, they started filming earlier and I'm very happy with Scorpion. But, uh, you know, who knows down the road, maybe I'll get to work with those guys in some other way. So what kind of, what kind of motorcycle do you ride? I'm a Harley Davidson guy. Okay. Uh, uh, a big old bagger and I got a Springer Custom. I actually ride and, and ride with a real motorcycle club, the Booze Fighters Motorcycle Club. It was founded in 1946 in Los Angeles, California, and I'm the boss of the chapter here in L.A. Oh, shit. So it's two years older than the Hells Angels. Okay. And uh, a lot of the early Booze Fighters became Hells Angels uh, after the 40s. My chapter is a, a nonprofit that raises money for disabled vets. Nice. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been involved with them for about eight years. It's a drinking club with a motorcycle problem. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, Chris is like, do you play golf? Do you do it? You don't have any free time. I don't have any free time. So, but if you play golf, sure. let's say when I, when I, when I, my stress release is to go out and ride the motorcycle. I usually do a coast to coast trip once a year. Um, and sometimes I go solo. Yeah. Most of the time I ride with a buddy of mine who's a Vietnam vet, and we'll ride into D.C., and we'll, we'll go to the Vietnam Wall for Memorial Day, and I'll go to Walter Reed in Bethesda and Bethesda and sort of tie in my USO involvement with this uh, enthusiasm I have for motorcycles. And um, it's just a great way to get out and be alone and just the wide open country in your eyes and the romantic dreams in your head to quote from Bruce Springsteen. It's uh, it's just a great vibe. And if I was a golfer, you know, I would have joined like a golf club, right? But I didn't, I joined a, a motorcycle club with a bunch of other, a golf club crazy where motorcycle if, uh, someone steps out of line, you beat the shit out of them with a nine iron and then you throw them out on the street and you're like, don't come back to the, see the booze golfers again. <laughs> the booze golfers. Yeah. The booze golfers. <laughs> That's funny. A lot of booze fighters do play golf. They do play golf. There's, there's some booze fighters. That so are play you, golf. Do you, do you go cross country by yourself? You've done that before? I have done it. I have done it. I, I feel like I, I go prefer, crazy. Well, it's lonely. It's, it's, but that solitude is kind of med- very meditative and uh, it's, you know, it's very peaceful. You can really get lost in America. Oh, I know. I've been across the smart. country lots of times. Yeah. yeah and, you know. and there's some really great, I always say to people that you should be a tourist in this country because there's so many interesting parts that you, ne- I mean, like, I remember I was driving across country and came across this town called Hayes, Kansas that I never would have thought to go to. And it was a really cool town yeah. in the middle of Kansas. Local music, yeah. local restaurants. Uh, the people are great. Uh, 
you know, you put that full face helmet on and they don't know who they're riding next to. You know what I mean? And and you're just out there in the country. It's it's pretty cool. I enjoy it. I've had a few, you know, experiences. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, you know, a flat on the Mexican border, 100 miles from Tucson. Oh, shit. Trying to figure out what to do there. What'd you do? Well, I had all these real big decisions to make. A, do I continue to ride? Or do I, you know, take my knife and cut the tire off and ride the rim? Mm-hmm. I don't have any water. I got cigars. Why the fuck didn't I bring water? <laughs> I don't have anything to eat. I don't have a protein bar. Why the fuck? Who, what fucking idiot rides across the <laughs> desert? It's 106 degrees, and you don't have water or a biscuit or something to eat or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got, you got Mexico over here. You got Tucson's 100 miles away. Now we're going to do, asshole. What did you do? And you stand there, and I will tell you, you stand there, and you know the feeling. Oh. Nature just rises up around you, and all of a sudden, you're just standing there, you know, under God, going, oh, my God, I'm so insignificant. <laughs> I'm out in the mid- None of this. You know, this is pretty cool. It's actually, a, it's kind of a cool experience to go through. So what did I do, Chris? Yep. Of course, I remembered I had my cell phone. <laughs> oh, good. I had my AAA card. <laughs> I got motorcycle coverage. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Let's see if this will work. I had reception, called AAA, and had to sit there for, you know, several hours before Manuel showed up with the flatbed to take my, my bike into the... Uh, Tucson Harley Davidson and and have it uh, a new tire put on. That's fantastic. It's it's about a it's it, yeah that's not a very uh, you know a lot of bikers would be out there in their, in in podcast land going oh, wait a minute what you should have done was taken off that back rim. I wonder what our d- biker demographic is. You know although listening to podcasts if you're riding across country is probably a good thing to do. Well I have a. Uh, the Harley bagger, I'll do a little plug for Harley. I, uh, I have serious radio on it, so I can listen to like the E Street Channel the whole way or Outlaw oh, wow. Radio. You can listen. You got a 150-watt sure. amp, and you can hear it, yeah. and it's pretty cool. Uh, you got navigation if you want. I mean, it's, it's, with all this technology, uh, it's pretty easy. Yeah, you know, and I swear to you, when I do this, I, I don't take that much. Yeah. You know, I literally go like, all right, I need like, you know, six pairs of underwear to get me there. And yeah, you know what I mean? You're sweating the whole time because it's hotter now. And you have to, you're wearing leather basically. You got, and, you, when you, and you're wearing, you got your stuff to put on. I, I rode through a, a tornado in Sioux Falls, Idaho, which was a very funny story. I was with uh, my buddy, New York Mike, and uh, Rusty, this other old biker guy. And we, we were getting, we, we finally had to get off the road because we're, we're literally, we're hydroplaning and, being blown off the road, and we're uh, we pull off on this exit, and I swear to God, I'm not making this up. There was a huge billboard, white, and in bold black letters, it said, "Prepare to meet thy God." <laughs> well, I guess this and is we it. Got off this Stuckies, Stuckies, and it was abandoned. Of course, it was. It's uh, right? a Stuckies because it's gone. Uh, they're they're gone. 
And we're literally standing there and we're huddled up in this thing and we've got our full face on and all our rain gear and shit and we're watching debris starting to go and we'd positioned our Harley so that they would be into the wind and literally closed them all down and we're just sitting there watching the roof come off the old gas station holy and we're shit. going, holy motherfuck, what we're going to do, you know. And I'm yelling at the guys, if this gets really bad... We got to run into one of those storm ditches over there. We got to conquer down in there and kind of hang on, man. This is, you know, life or death kind of thing. Uh, it, 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 that then, was amazing. And, and then you it, remembered and, you had your cell phone. And then you, no, I'm well, kidding. Well, no, in that case, you know, the cell phone <laughs> doesn't matter. But then, uh, you know, uh, Kansas, I've been through a snowstorm by myself, uh, a tornado by myself. Uh, 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 it was a bad um, hailstorm. And then the very next day, I'm riding through the Rockies and it's snow. You know, and you're you're on a Harley riding through semis <laughs> with semis, you know, like riding in their trail and you got to get through the Rockies and out the Vail Pass. And Oh, my God. It's pretty cool, That's man. fucking terrifying. But how else are you going to get, you know, those kind of experiences and all that? Feeds Internet. Into, it feeds into, <laughs> feeds into Video games. Yeah, but this... This feeds into your craft, and uh, you know. No, that, listen. If I had the stones, if I had the stones to do it, I would. You know, yeah. like I. I mean, it sounds like, but I just. I go. No, I'd get up there and I'd just go. Oh fuck! What? Fuck this! Why'd I do this? You know? Like, can you just give me a ride back? I'd get in with a truck. I just take the bike. I don't give a shit anymore. Well, the earlier question you had. Sometimes I have to admit. Sometimes you get on it and you're just kind of going like, Why didn't I decide to do this again? Oh yeah, that's right. right. But I guess like if you you know, but if you if you stick if you stick it out. Sometimes the rewards are revealed later. It's it's you got to be patient, just like with acting, like anything. Exactly, you got to put your head down. By the way, I'm pretty sure I met your son. Was he working on the Corolla show? My son. Yeah. No, because he's only 14. Oh, okay. Then no, I didn't mean. I thought. But I. I, uh, uh, Adam Corolla. Yeah. No, I know Adam Corolla, but I don't know uh, who somebody was claiming to be my son. I thought I met a guy, and I thought he said, "Oh yeah, Robert married my dad." Maybe I maybe I invented that in my head. Well. I don't think I have a son old enough to be working on Adam Carolla, but I do have what a 17-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old son. What if he's sneaking out at night to work on a podcast and you didn't even know it? Dad, I want to be a podcaster. Son, no! You, he, he'd be, probably be pretty good. What, what do you think, Sue? He'd be good at it, right? He'd be good at it. Do, do your kids have any interest in the business at all? Or do they... Funny you should ask that, Chris. What? Interesting. Funny you should ask that. My daughter. She's studying at Strasbourg right now. Oh, well, I guess so. That's yeah. pretty serious. And uh, college she's going to go to, uh, she wants to study acting there. And she's gone away on some summer camps at Sarah Lawrence and done some, oh, wow. some drama stuff. I haven't, <clears throat> excuse me, I haven't really let her try to pursue it professionally. But she did do a, she was in a, a, um, a video that Baltazar Getty did. Uh, she did a little acting for him and she's really good on camera. I've got her working with my coach as well, and I think she could have a huge career. And, and I'm at that point now where, you know, I want to let her be a teenager and finish school. Sure. I'm not so sure I want her to do it professionally, and yet I work with other professional young people like Madison Davenport, who sure. played my daughter on From Dust Till Dawn, and she's a wonderful, you know, wonderful young lady. And so I, you know, she's going to have to find her way, my daughter, but. I want her to benefit from all the nepotism that I did not. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> you know what I mean? I so mean, you're I, saying the banking industry did not help at no, all get no, you into yeah, yeah, that, that film? Yeah, that, that didn't help at all. didn't help at all. But, uh, but I'm going to do whatever I can to kind of help her and 
And hopefully you'll hear from her someday. Austin Patrick is her name. Ah, oh, that's a that's a that's Austin, like a superhero name. It is, isn't it? Austin Jessica Patrick. Austin AJ Patrick. She got her name. Daddy, Daddy got arrested in Austin, Texas. What? Going way back. What? Way back. Did you shoot a man just to watch him die? I didn't do that. Okay. I was drunk on 6th Street. Oh. (laughs) You you can get arrested for that? I thought that's what I thought. Well, it's public intoxication. Oh, no. 6th Street. You're supposed to do that in Austin. That's why it's there, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was... uh, Yeah, that and... uh, Yeah, that's where she got her name. Oh, that's... She's really proud of that. That's... that's Why were you in jail? Just they put you in drunk tank for the night? I was there for 18 hours. My wife, too, actually. Actually... We were riding around. The, the real story wasn't 6th Street. The real story is we were riding around looking for a friend of mine who was getting married, and he lived in a, a hot and toddy part of, you know, a rich part of Austin, Texas. And we'd flown in for the uh, wedding, and I was a broke, out-of-work actor. I think I died on it. I think maybe I'd done Die Hard too. Yeah, I had because my wife and I were engaged. We weren't married. And we were having a hard time finding his place. And they thought we were casing the neighborhood. And I looked kind of oh. like I look now, but a lot more vagrant-y. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, they uh, threw us in jail. Oh, shit. They thought we were casing the neighborhood, and the cops kind of separated me and the wife. And she wasn't intoxicated, for the record. I was. That's why she was driving. And uh, I, I went after him. I kind of... You know, and the next thing I know, I was up against the wall. Yeah, that's not a good idea. I'm lucky I didn't really get, like, you know, something else, some other charge. But, uh, yeah. Well, let's see. And the other reason she's named Austin is, of course, that was my character's name in T2. Right. And I didn't know if I was going to have another kid. So I said, hey, we'll give her a cool name. Give her a cool name. Yeah, Austin, very special place for you. Yeah. Well, uh, we're this is the end, dude. You're awesome. Come on, you are awesome, dude. dude thank you. This was so much fun. I'm, I'm I'm thrilled we worked together, and thanks for reminding me of that. Thank and, you. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Well, I got I got so excited when I came in for that because they were like, "You're going to be Green Arrow," and I'm like, "Fuck yeah!" And so I did two episodes, and when we showed up to that recording. I was like, oh, this is going to be great, and I'm sure there's going to be a spin-off. Like, I go to all these places. Uh, right? Sure. <laughs> and Andrea Romano, Andrea Romano walks in right before we start, and she was like, so this is going to be the last episode. The series is ending. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. no! Oh, yeah, no! And that was the last episode. So they had all, they had everyone there. It was like, you know, Green Arrow and Hawkman, and like, they had everyone. They had everyone there, like all of the, so it wasn't. Aren't those fun? They're great. We didn't really talk about that. We, we talked a little bit about some of the voiceovers I were doing, but. That's difficult acting. You think so? Voiceover acting? I love it. I've been doing it for 10 years. I've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. My hat's off to you. No, it's, I I just like. uh, I'm lost in there sometimes. I I don't know how to do that because my stuff is so camera oriented that I have a hard time getting to that place. That's why you need someone like Andrea Romano who's so good at telling you like. You You got to be bigger. Yeah. Because there are, there are. I feel like with voiceover, there are tricks that you can do to affect a performance that you couldn't get away with doing if someone was looking at you. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, especially especially if you're really tired, but you got to sound like you're up. Like, you can still, yeah. it doesn't matter what your face yeah. is doing, you can still sound the way that you're supposed to sound. But it, it's to people like Andrea who, you know, single-handedly, like, she was responsible for, like, the this, well, the original golden era of Warner Brothers would have been the Chuck Jones and Robert... Uh, Clampett years, but the second golden age of Warner Brothers animation was 
Andrea Romano was like Animaniacs, you know, the original Batman series, the Batman, like all that stuff was she did all the voices casting for all that. Yeah. So, you know, she's she's a legend. Yeah, no, it's great that we it's great that we had the opportunity to work with her. So now, maybe that's one of the reasons I don't get to go back that much is because <laughs> they have to really pull it out of me. Well, uh, uh, tell old Cat McPhee that Chris Hardwick says hi. Absolutely, and, my man. And since we're talking about voiceover, um, it, I would love it if you would sign off the podcast by just telling people in whatever manner you want, just say, enjoy your burrito. That's how we sign off the podcast. Nerdist, enjoy your burrito. Oh, he did the husk part. So good. It's always better to go down. You got to go down. Down into the diaphragm. I think so. It's nice. When I start getting way up here with the acting. <laughs> hey, kids, get off my goddamn lawn! Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com. Use the offer code NERDIST. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the cat in the hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.